The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern-day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome to More Than Amuse Monday. I'm Sadie. I'm Stani, and welcome back. Yay! I'm especially happy to be here today, partly... Well, I'm excited to be here every week because I get to learn more about women. (laughs) And today it's Stani's artist, which means I get to learn about someone that I probably don't know a lot about. But I'm also excited because I did go to the Eras Tour a couple days ago at this point. And you want to know what? I had a great time. I had a great experience. You were Nashville night one, right? I was Nashville night one. Any non-Swifties that are listening... You can just skip on ahead or enjoy. (laughs) But I mean, come on. You're used to it by now, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know this is a Swifty-friendly podcast, to say Mm -hmm. the least. No shame here. No shame in the Swift game. Anyways, but yes, (laughs) Nashville Night One. And if anyone is aware of the Taylor Swift universe at all, Nashville Night One, she announced Speak Now Taylor's version and Woo-hoo! and I got Sparks Fly for my surprise song, which is really exciting because good song. That's one of my favorite songs. In eighth grade, I performed in the school talent show, and the song that I performed was Sparks Fly. That's and so that was cute. like one of my first big performances as a kid. And I literally made a video on my phone before the concert. I said. If Taylor Swift loves me, she'll play Sparks Fly. And then she's played Sparks Fly. So I'm really glad I made that video because I have proof that I said that. And that That I really wanted it. That was so cool. When I saw that, I was like, oh, Sadie, cute. I did it. (laughs) She loves me. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a a magical night, to say the least. It's very exciting that Speak Now is coming out. I know. Long time coming, too. photo very excited about that i love the cover as well i think this has been my favorite re-record cover image yeah yeah i agree and i'm really excited too because i love the speak now album but in the contrast of the other taylor's versions when i listen to speak now songs now it's like very obvious how young her voice is yeah so i'm very excited for the upgraded vocals singing all those songs i think it'll be great i completely agree well, now that we've both been to the Eras tour, what was your favorite moment of the of the night? Do you do you remember? That's so oh. hard because I'm like all of it. I, know. <laughs> I was like really excited about Cowboy Like Me with Marcus uh, Mumford. You also got a good night, yeah, because yeah. I love Evermore, and it was just fun to have like the first guest because mm-hmm. I thought she just straight up wasn't gonna do any. I know, me too. <laughs> yeah, so that was really fun. I'd also say like. I don't know why like everyone was asking me what your favorite song was i really loved karma like i don't know what it was but that ending it was, it was and, a like, perfect ending it was just awesome so like every time i think about it i'm just like oh that feeling that you get with like the closing song mm-hmm. and karma and the like fire and yeah. fireworks and like confetti raining down at the end like, yeah i honestly i 
loved Lover. I don't know why. Oh, that's a good one. Like, the Lover album is not one of my favorite albums, but honestly, the Lover set, which is the opening set, was probably my favorite moment of the show. Yeah. During the song Lover, I full-on started crying. Like, full-on oh, emotional. Because I was just like, I'm here in Nashville with my... Because my cousin came with me. She flew in from Utah, and, you know, I grew up with mm-hmm. her, obviously. And I was like, and we're here together, and I live here, and oh, my gosh. And it just... I was crying, like, so hard, actually, that I was like, get it together, man. Like, <laughs> you're you're here to have fun. And then my cousin started crying because I was crying. It was It was a moment. But it was, yeah. it was very nice. So. No, that's cute. Mm-hmm. I love that. I realized lately that like the lover songs mm-hmm. are actually some of my absolute favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I like actually really do love that album. <laughs> Here's the thing. For me, lover has some misses. But when it hits, it, it hits. It hits. <laughs> like Death by a Thousand Cuts. Cruel Miss Summer. Americana. Cruel Summer. Lover. Even The yeah. Archer is so good. And seeing that one it's live, so I was good. like, this song is awesome. Like, Yeah. I know. So I'm like, it has great songs. I feel like we gave it a little bit too much hate. True. And then also last night, I went Friday. Yesterday was Saturday. <laughs> yes, we are recording this episode last minute. We've had a busy week. We've had a busy week. <laughs> Maybe it is Sunday and this episode comes out tomorrow. None of your business. It Anyways. just means that we wanted to be really, really relevant. We wanted to be really relevant. <laughs> Anyways, but last night, the stadium is an outdoor stadium. And so you can definitely hear the music. And so we parked our car like a mile away from the stadium, walked up and enjoyed the surprise songs couple songs from the midnight set and then came walked back to our car and managed so to beat fun. the traffic it was fun i might do it tonight but it's actually pouring rain so if anyone listening <laughs> was at sunday nashville show yeah uh, i hope you were okay <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> i mean i'm sure it's gonna be fun but that would be hard well hopefully everything's fine anyways enough taylor talk (laughs) though we could just devote a whole hour-long conversation to it if we wanted to i know we actually have two episodes on taylor swift if you wanted to check those out technically three because recently this year we did a like a pop culture roundup oh not this year when midnight's came out close to it oh we did another episode talking about the pop girlies who did albums and pop resurgence anyways like technically three but yeah we actually recorded those first two right as folklore and evermore were coming out so yeah kind of fun but yeah you can check those out if you want to hear more of that but today we're actually going to be talking about someone who sadly we could not do two episodes on because i could barely find enough information to do one oh yeah i'm so excited (laughs) who who is it what is what is this artist? Yes. So today we're talking about Mary Jewett Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And she's actually a Samoan textile artist. A super cool story. Okay, so in Samoa, they have like a special textile that they create that's a part of their cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. It's called tapa and i'll talk more about like the process and everything else but basically it was on the verge of completely dying out because once they started getting exports from america and like other areas in the world they didn't need it anymore and it's a really like lengthy process to create and so it basically almost disappeared completely from the world Wow. And because of her and like a lot of the education and publicity around it it's still here it still exists which is important yeah (laughs) so yeah i really wanted to talk about her 
there is not a lot of information. So this is a call to anyone looking for a book topic, mm-hmm. a senior thesis. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we were talking about right before we started recording is obviously the whole point of this podcast is to shine a light on the women artists that there isn't a lot of information mm-hmm. on. But unfortunately, when there's not a lot of information, it's hard to do a whole podcast episode, especially when these are weekly episodes. So it's not like we have the ability to like really dive in and almost like do scholarship work on these unknown artists just because, you know, we're just providing the info and moving on. So, yes, if anyone is out there, please take on over. Yes, please, please do. Because yeah, we're always trying to find more resources on some of these like lesser known names and Mm -hmm. it gets really difficult sometimes. Yeah. Deep in those internet archives. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we could just dive in. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. So like I said, she is from Samoa and a little bit about Samoa is that it was actually established by migrants from Southeast Asia. And they arrived there like 2,000 years ago. From there, they settled the rest of like the Polynesian area. It's like further to the east, all of the coast, and a lot of those Polynesian islands. With the arrival of Europeans, English missionaries, and traders in the 1800s, the Samoan islands were actually split into two sections and that's what's known today as American Samoa which is a part of the territories of the United States and then the western islands are known as western Samoa or just Samoa and that passed from German control to New Zealand in 1914 but then they gained independence in 1962 making them actually the first pacific island country to gain its independence and that's when they amended their constitution to change their name from western samoa to samoa but a lot of like people in american samoa were really upset about that because they didn't want their own samoan identity to diminish because then you have samoa and american samoa so it makes american samoa sound Less. Like the knockoff Samoa, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they weren't very happy about that. But I can understand why, like, Western Samoa wanted to just be Samoa because yeah. they were independent. But yeah, so American Samoans still use the term usually, like, Western Samoa and Western mm. Samoans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the artist we're talking about today, she was actually born in the American Samoan area. So she was born on September 17th, 1905 in a city called Pago Pago. It's on the island of Tutalia, I think is how you'd say it, in American Samoa. But her parents were really well known in the area, like very well established, very well known. Her father was actually an American construction worker that was hired to build the main deck in the Pago Pago Harbor. And that's how he met his wife and ended up living there for the rest of his life. They spoke Samoan in their house, which I think is really cool. That was the standard language. And their home was, which I think was pretty standard. It's a multi-generational home. So they had like brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, and in-laws like frequently within the home. I don't Mm -hmm. know if they were all like sleeping there, but it was like very open door extended family is major part of everyday life Mm -hmm. which is really cool actually yeah that (laughs) is really cool yeah i feel like i got like a tiny taste of that because my extended family all lives in utah and we saw each other very frequently Mm -hmm. but it's kind of cool to imagine a household where 
they're just a part of your everyday life. She talks a lot about like before bedtime, they would settle around their aunt Tepito and she would tell stories and legends of Samoa and she said that she didn't remember ever hearing one repeated. Oh, wow. It's like different stories and legends every single night. And she said her last memory on most nights was her story. And my first awareness of morning was waking up in my bed where someone had placed me. Mm -hmm. So kind of that magical feeling as a kid when Mm -hmm. you fall asleep listening to a marvelous story about your cultural heritage. And then you wake up and you're magically in your bed in the morning. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) They also took a ton of trips with the family groups. They call it going into the bush. And basically the whole family would gather together. They'd go up into the mountains and for different things. They'd go for like a picnic or to get firewood to plant and gather food to collect bark scrapings to make dye for the textile designs and she remembers being the first child to want to go when she was younger and the bush trips always included older women and she said it wasn't until I was much older as an adult that I realized these women were both protecting and educating us introducing us slowly and in spirit of fun to the Samoan way of life. Listening to the women, watching them, following their instructions for the things we were allowed to do was a simple and effective teaching method. For us children, of course, one of the favorite times was when we found papayas just turning ripe and ate them on the spot. Mm. And she just remembers making garlands from like the flowers and vines that they found, like seeing the people as they were coming and going and like saying hello to everyone. And she said, going to the bush remains a personal enjoyment for me up to today. The pleasures of childhood continue with the added interest of an amateur botanist as I am endlessly curious about flowers, plants, and trees. And because her father was hired, he, of course, like I said, he spoke Samoan fluently and really respected the Samoan people and their culture. And so he was a part of all of this and really like establish that in his children even Mm -hmm. though he was american she attended the catholic sisters school throughout the fifth grade which was the highest level offered to girls at the time wow i can't imagine stopping school at fifth grade honestly (laughs) and then in 1919 she actually left home to attend a seminary for girls in honolulu and that was the first time in her life when she attended honolulu that she had to speak and write in english on a daily basis wow so that's where a lot of her education in english came from because like i said her family they spoke samoan that's you know, that was their culture. Her father wrote to her in 1922, so after two years of her being in the seminary, and asked her to come home for Christmas. And after that, she was supposed to return to Honolulu and continue her education. But shortly after returning home and after Christmas, her father actually passed away. Oh. And her formal education ended at that point because she was 18. And so she needed to help her widowed mother provide for the family and it was her younger brother and three sisters that's a lot of mouths to feed (laughs) so she ended up leaving school at that time to help what's really cool is that her father had been a part of the u.s navy stationed there in samoa and in order to help the family situation because one of you know his officers had died the governor captain e.s kellogg actually asked the public's work department to give her an office job so that they could pay and help out the family. But there wasn't a vacancy in the office, and the only opening in the department was for a joiner, which was a man's job. And so they gave it to her, but they had to hire her as not Mary Jewett, but as M. Jewett. And so 
that they wouldn't know that she was a female. This actually made her the first female in Samoa to be hired by the U.S. Navy. Whoa. (laughs) Yes. She did say that wasn't explained to the officials in Washington, D.C., of course. (laughs) That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So kind of like under the table a little to try and like help out this family. But like good of the governor, you know, to like do that. And it's not like what is like the U.S. government going to fly to Samoa and like make sure everything like no they don't care about verifying that but I guess maybe they would I don't know but it's not likely that they would catch them in that lies basically yeah and it's not like she was hired as like an admirable or like a captain you know like it was basically a desk clerk she said she took a lot of ribbing from other workers about her job description but her salary was $13 a week and that was enough for her family and so at the time she was actually the sole support of her family Like, thank heavens they were able to get that. She remembers also not being allowed to go out in the evenings without permission from her mother or a chaperone. And she said her mother was caring and loving. She was just really protective, which is fair. Also with her working in, like, a Navy office, I'm sure it made her mother a little bit more so. Guard, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she married a Navy officer. Her mother did. So I'm sure she was a little bit aware (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Even if you found the good ones, then you know about the bad ones. (laughs) Yeah. She said it didn't prevent her life from being busy. She had a lot of family, a lot of friends. And one friend became very special. His name was Ron Pritchard of Lyon, which is a village there. And they got married in 1925. So now we get to talk about this Samoan art that I mentioned earlier. It's called Siapau, I think. C-O-O-P-O-W. C-O-O-P-O-W. Cool. And it was what Samoans would use for cloth before other fabrics were brought in. As you know, like, cotton came from the Americas. And then silk was, like, a major Chinese thing. So, like, fabric was different everywhere in the world. But everyone had to find a way to, like, clothe and create blankets and all sorts of things. And so fabric's, like, a major part of life. And the way that Samoa did it was they had... I'm going to explain the process. So, basically, they grow mulberry trees. And then they take the bark from the mulberry trees and they like harvest it strip it separate it scrape it and beat it Mm. it's very like scientific and very lengthy cool it kind of reminds me of like learning about how the egyptians created papyrus okay yeah but then instead of like it being paper Uh it turns into more like fabric but the fabric does kind of look stiffer than like a cotton or a silk would be. So basically they harvest the mulberry tree when it's like 10 to 14 months old. Then they strip the bark away, separate it with a knife. And then the inner part is placed in a bowl without the bark in fresh clean water to keep it moist. And then they scrape off the remaining bits of bark and any of the growth from the base. And this like softens and spreads the fibers apart. And then depending on how like coarse it is yeah (laughs) then they have like different things that they do with it which supposedly you can't tell until you get into like the reed area Mm -hmm. i think i could be explaining this wrong but this is my understanding no if (laughs) i know this sounds amazing then they use like a wooden beater and like a wooden anvil okay and they beat it down in to like a pulp i think kind of and then they lay it out to dry 
So, like I said, it kind of reminds me of learning about papyrus yeah. in elementary. Did you ever do that? Yeah, Were which, they like now that you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, we did do like a lengthy unit on how they made papyrus. Why? Yeah. I don't know, but we did. I don't know either, but we did. But I'm like, thank heavens, because I feel like I kind of understand this a little bit more. Because you did. Wow, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, but weird though, we were learning about papyrus. Because we were. And very in depth. Yes. Like, I, I totally understood how they made papyrus by the end of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Why did I need to know that? I don't know, but I, I don't sure know, did. but I. I've remembered it my whole life. That's impressive. <laughs> they also use natural dyes, which makes sense because, but the dyes are made from the bark of a blood tree. And then they like very similar. They scrape, the shavings are collected and then they squeeze it. Mm-hmm. And as it ages, it darkens. So it actually starts out as like a pale tan color and then matures into like a rich dark brown. Cool. Which is really cool. So that's the brown dye. The black dye is called Lama. And it comes from a kernel of a candle nut. So they like burn the candle nut, they collect Ooh. the soot, and then they mix it to make llama, which is really cool. That is cool. <laughs> and then loa is the red dye, and it comes from the lipstick tree, which I'm assuming probably red. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> like, that's probably how they originally did lipstick. When the tree blooms, it produces pods filled with seeds. These seeds are mixed and the loa is extracted. And then a go is the yellow dye. It's extracted from the roots of turmeric, which makes perfect sense because turmeric is a beautiful, rich yellow color. And that's actually how they made a lot of like yellow paint. Yeah. And cool. everything in the early days. So yeah, four colors. It's known to have a lot of, like, animal motifs and other images of Samoan life. Mm-hmm. Like, shells, starfish, leaves. Those are all very common. In recent ones, they also incorporate, like, lettering, which makes sense. Like, names, dates, uh-huh. events. Especially as it became more of, like, a ceremonial type of thing. Because it's more, less practical now <laughs> that there's lots of fabric alternatives but more of like a ceremonial traditional cultural thing Mm -hmm. and there's actually two different ways that they make it with putting the dye on you can either rub it or freehand it so they have one that they use like a design board and they imprint designs on the bark cloth and they like place it on kind of like printing like block prints like they have a a thing and they like put the cloth on it with the dye already on and like yeah. press it down so that it moves over onto it like a stamp and then the other one is to freehand where basically you just paintbrush yeah do it on just top freehand of it. it yep <laughs> so very complicated process there are a million words i skipped because <laughs> like, I like said, the actual technical <laughs> terms and everything yes yeah. they have all these words for it and it's amazing but like i'm i would butcher all of it and then all of mm-hmm. you would hate me <laughs> I don't want to go there. So I highly recommend if you want to look up like the actual words for all of it and more about the process, like Google it. Totally. It, you know. All right. So today for my spotlight, something I've been loving on TikTok is people who play unlikable characters or like, you know, just different characters. And this woman is someone that I think is so funny. Her name is Lisa 
Pedis, I believe. The last name is spelled P-E-D-A-C-E. And it's the exact same thing on Instagram, her username, just Lisa Pettis. But she's an actor, a comedian, and a performer. But the videos on TikTok that I think are so funny are like older adults dropping by where I don't even know how to explain it, but it's almost like, oh, like you're looking for a new job. Well, have you tried to like go knock on the door? Like basically like the stereotypical like older person who just gives very dated advice without even being aware that perhaps it's different now, you know? Mm. And she also plays a lot of just plays a lot of unlikable funny little characters i think her most viewed one is this one that's like like pretending to be a like in a crime scene drama like talking to someone because they have a warrant just i don't know they're just so funny i think she's hilarious so if you're looking for a fun tiktok account to follow go follow her i think she's that's funny. so fun i want to shout out this illustrator and muralist from connecticut her username on instagram is jag inc j-a-g dot ink her name is julian guler i think is how you would say it and it's just fun like she does a lot of lettering it looks very organic and then lots of plants and there's little fish Ooh, and little flowers fish. and it's so bright I... I love finding accounts like this yes it just brighten up your feed they really do make it a little bit more joyful no i love them so yeah i think she's got some materials you can buy on her website as well i think notebooks looked like something Ooh, notebooks she does murals so if you need a mural done and you live in connecticut they look pretty cool so yeah check her out and send us any artists that we need to follow absolutely The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So Pritchard actually remembers like being surrounded by the process of creating it, but it wasn't like a common thing in her life. Like her family home didn't have a ton of it going on, mm -hmm. but it was common in the community. So she remembers growing up surrounded by seeing it, but it wasn't like an active part of her life until after she got married. It was used a lot for like clothing for dances and ceremonies, bed covers, and funeral shrouds. So like I said, they had more traditional fabric at the time that they used for a lot of clothing, yeah. but any ceremonial clothing, bed covers when you got married, like a, a duvet cover, and then also a funeral shroud, which makes perfect sense. But she talks about it and says, Siao Pao was a normal part of everyday life for me, just as it was for all of us youngsters growing up in Samoa, whether or not it was regular household activity. She remembers that her mother had a wooden upidi, which is like the carved pattern board oh, that I talked cool. about. And its dominant feature wasn't traditional, but it was a date of the arrival of Europeans and the introduction of playing cards with a heart motif. Oh. Because that was the first time 
they had playing cards on the island. And mother and her friends decided to have dresses made with cotton cloth decorated for her uppity using natural dye. I clearly remember that, but I cannot recall the board ever being used for Siapau. Strangely, it was similar to what I would be doing many years later, but at the time I was less interested in art and dressmaking than in playing games and eating. Fair. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) But when she got married, they spent a lot of time in Lyon, where her husband was from. And in Lyon, the process of making siapu was like a big deal. It was a huge thing in the village of Lyon, and especially the freehand decoration. And so shortly after being married, just two years later, she actually started an exporting business where she would export the Siapo from artists to the overseas market. Oh, cool. And this is because before she got married, she quit her job as the clerk and had a baby and then was a part of this village of Lyon and started this business. They also did floor mats, table mats, and hula skirts that were made by local artisans. And then they would send them to dealers in Honolulu, and then they would export them out to the world. And she said the purpose of her little enterprise was to earn money to be used in the future education of my daughters. Hmm. My husband would take care of the sons. So that was how they split it. She was like, I'll pay for the daughter's education. You'll pay for the sons. sons. Which makes sense because the daughter's education would be cheaper because it wouldn't go as far, which sucks. But, like, very cool of her to be, like, I'm going to pay for my daughter's education. Yeah, this is important. Her business actually grew really quickly, and she was able to have 20 women on the payroll and pay them $30 a month. Wow. And she also served them breakfast and lunch. So, like, really wonderful employment opportunity for the local women there, who a lot of the times probably couldn't have Mm -hmm. very traditional jobs after giving birth and like raising children. It also meant that there was a reason to make Siapo because it helped the families earn a living and it also kept the art alive at a time when it would have been dying out. That Yeah, that is a really cool point, right? Creating the incentive for it because what was the point almost, you know, I don't know, maybe people yeah. don't realize or if it's lengthy process, I'm sure it's like, well, ugh, if we don't have to do this, we won't do it. And it's a skill like Mm -hmm. that you have to learn. (laughs) It takes a lot of trial and error. Like it's not something you just pick up (laughs) and do. Like there's this whole thing to it and science behind it. Like I talked about they have to harvest the roots at a very specific time. And Mm -hmm. then depending on the toughness of them, there's different things you have to do with it. And like it's not something that's easy to keep going. And I think that's how a lot of traditional crafts die off is when something else when it's, it's easier yeah if it's easier and it's like well why would i keep doing it the hard way if i have this option yeah. here and it makes my life easier definitely so her business allowed the art to be kept alive which is really important she ended up joining this group of very influential ladies in the village of leon and they would regularly meet and make siapu together mm-hmm. and it was like their little friendship circle kind of thing like she talks a lot about this One reason I enjoyed being a part of the Lyon group was the relaxed atmosphere of their sessions. Mm. There was never any tenseness or hard feelings, nor was there any jealousy. The women living the Samoan way were secure in their positions in the community. The Lyon Siopa makers did not look on their own work merely as a job or duty, even though the Siapo they created was of considerable economic importance to their families and consequently to the village. They came together and combined social with economic purposes, enjoying both. 
In their friendship, their work, there was a graciousness and style unaffected and innocent. It was beautiful watching them falling into their chatter and banter, everything from the latest gossip to the old stories and legends they had known all their lives. Each day seemed filled with productive work made easy by the fun. One of the ladies working on her siapo may begin a song, usually with some rather pointed but good-natured teasing from the others about the quality of the singer's voice. (laughs) Before long, another woman would put aside her work and be up on her feet doing a dance, stimulated with enthusiasm by the rest of the group. While working, no attention was paid to rank or status. Only at mealtime, when the traditions followed, and the women then sitting in their respective positions on the table according to rank were served accordingly, with the plate of food going first to the wife of highest ranking chief. Wow. So it just sounds really great. Like, they yeah. had this little group. They would gather together and talk and create this, these beautiful works of art that she was able to sell. But yeah, she worked a lot of the time on her own at home late at night of course to complete orders mm-hmm. <laughs> so she said the shirts skirts dresses and curtains were all really popular and had to be done quickly for a special event and um, sometimes customers would order like an entire bolt of fabric wow <laughs> so she would have to finish it she also talks about her mother coming up late at night when she'd see her light on and she would walk up the rough stone steps from her house below and she could smell her walk in because of her Samoan tobacco smell and then she would sit down and talk to her throughout the night while she finished and then she would go back down which is really sweet too yeah she also talks about how each village had their own special handicrafts that they offered for sale some villages devoted their efforts to woven baskets mats or grass skirts but leon was famous for their freehand siapo mm. and so that was what was very popular and that's where they made most of their money she actually didn't start making it herself of course i talked earlier about her finishing orders that was later on in 1929 so about two years after starting her business she was watching them and then she was like i should probably learn how to do this that's what i was thinking i was like okay it's amazing what she's done but like can she do it herself (laughs) yeah since she was going to be in town for a few days the women gave her materials and she tried she said one thing that they didn't give her was the bark glue that's used to attach the material to the wooden board it creates like the tacky bond between the two but it also makes it easy to remove it at the end and she remembers that she pasted her material to a counter in the store so i could work on it between customers but she used a starch adhesive which is used to adhere permanently the sheets to each other rather than like the temporary adhesive and so when she tried to take it off it like just shredded it (laughs) oh my goodness yeah so she said my first effort does not exist today because when i tried to remove it it came up in shreds she's like i also hadn't learned that i could have easily just soaked it off with water (laughs) so she could have saved it Oh my gosh. <laughs> the woman in Leon laughed and joked for days about my stupidity when I joined them next. They patiently showed me how to prepare the glue and adhere it properly. She said my first successful siapo was my second. I Amazing. proudly gave it away as a gift and many years later I had forgotten who I'm given it to. Just uh-huh. a few years ago, during a trip to Honolulu to present a workshop, I was invited by an old friend, Henry Zubrano, who had once lived in Samoa for drinks. After showing me his extensive art collection, he remarked that he had a gift for me. 
It was my first Siapo. Wow. So she got it back after 50 years That's from her friend. That's cool. One of the main hurdles that happened is World War II happened. <laughs> and of course, that cut off exports, which meant that there wasn't as much of a reason to create the fabric at the level that they were doing because they weren't actually able to ship it out anymore. The Lyon group continued to work together as much as they could, but then it came to an abrupt halt. And with new ways of making money because of the war going on and like taking in washing from the troops, they also, a lot of people started fermenting and selling home brew to anyone that was stationed there. And so a lot of the fabric making stopped. She talks about her friend, Colone, I think is how you would say her name. And she was like a very well-known artist for her Siapo. She does not have her own Wikipedia page. (laughs) (laughs) So there's nothing on her. But she taught a ton to Mary about like the whole process. And she was one of the best artists in the area for Siapo. So like we wouldn't know Mary without Colone. But she continued to practice the art throughout all of wartime and after as well. And with supplies being so hard to obtain because so few people were doing it, mm-hmm. she would often come to her house and ask for dyes or the fabric materials or the glue. And because she was traveling back and forth between islands at the time, she was able to obtain enough materials for both of them. So she was able to give enough materials to her friend to continue making it as well as do it herself. Colone reduced her output in the last few years, but continued to create Siapo, one of the last Leon women to do so. And one of her proudest moments was the presentation of a unique piece she had made for Lady Bird Johnson during her visit with President Johnson to American Samoa in 1966. So that was like the crowning moment of Cloney's life. When the war ended, Mary dedicated her life to teaching and passing on her knowledge of the beautiful art, including to the next two generations of women in her family. So her daughters and her granddaughters, she taught them how to make it and all about it. She actually ended up writing a book called Siapo Bark Cloth of Samoa and began a campaign after the war to save the traditional craft because of how hard it began to make it with the declines of like the mulberry plants being harvested Mm. and everything else that was happening (laughs) after World War II. So she would teach art to visitors who visited. She'd also go to local school children Mm -hmm. and teach them at the school about their traditional art forms. And in 1971, she was actually featured on the PBS program, Artists in America. Wow. They featured a ton of different artists all throughout all of the areas of America. And she talked all about Siapo and its creation and how it was made. And this led to a lot of increased requests for her to make personal appearances describing the importance, demonstrating the creation, and she traveled widely throughout the Pacific, Asia, and North America sharing her expertise. Wow, Um, that is cool. Yes. This also allowed the South Pacific Commission to begin marketing Siapo in their handicraft catalogs, which allowed the craft to come back alive. Obviously not at the extent it was before World War II, but at least back into regular parts of the culture. So she really was monumental in like preserving such a key part of her culture and where she's from. Yes. She's frequently called the savior of Siapo. Wow. Um, Yeah, because fully people believe that without her... It would have just died. Yeah. She died in Pago Pago on June 6, 1992. And the governor of America, Samoa, who at the time was Peter Tail Coleman, described the importance of her work, 
saying Mary's living experience and extensive expertise in Siapo making gained under the personal tutelage of past masters of this native art are examples of how Samoans gain knowledge and build character. Her drive and dedication in revitalizing Siapo making among our Samoan young people are born of her fierce pride in our Samoan heritage. And there was actually a show that honoring her held at the G.P. Hayden Museum in 1991. And there's also examples of her own work located at the Bishop Museum and the Denver Art Museum. But yeah, that's kind of all there is. There is a website that has more of her stories. Well, it's like a lot of the, all of the words I got in her own account were from this. Mm-hmm. I think it's run by her descendants. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, her great grandkids now I think mm-hmm. <laughs> would be what it is but it's just siapo.com like very cool. simple but they go through more of the process the design elements they also talk about Mary Pritchard and they have a page for Cologne Lieso Cologne Lieso wow um who is the one who taught Mary and that is the only full dedicated page to her on the internet wow so yeah she in it she talks a lot more about like the group of leon women it was beautiful like i couldn't go into all of it i would just be reading her words over and over but she talks more about like each of the roles that the women there played and where they did it like the church they did and everything else so well that really is yeah so beautiful and i think it just really shows the difference that one person can make and it feels cheesy to say that but here is actually a very real example of someone who made it their mission and made a very concerted effort. And because of that, here we are, you know, and that's so much more preserved and appreciated than it even would have been before. So that's amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. And these, they're beautiful. Like, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend going to the Instagram this week because it's amazing. The intricate details and designs. And then you realize that these are free-handed like incredible it blows my mind like it's insane like you'd think like four colors and fabric from a tree and you're like okay like it's gorgeous oh i love it no i'm i'm looking at it now it really is incredible yeah if you just google her name Mm -hmm. for anyone who's listening and doesn't want to wait like a bunch of it will pop up and it's gorgeous that's amazing well thank you so much for sharing her story with me i love that i now know more about this amazing woman of course same same (laughs) i wish there was more i wish instead of just writing a book about the process of making her art she would have written a memoir as well because i think it would have been really really cool cool. but i'm glad we have the little that we do have and that her family is continuing it on together and Mm -hmm. that is special yeah that they were able to keep it from dying off i think there's been like a a resurgence lately of people really working on keeping cultural heritage alive but i think people forget a lot of the times that for a while there it was really popular to almost erase your cultural heritage in order to like fit in and to avoid a lot of the racism (laughs) that occurred and so it's really cool that she was able to see the importance of it before it died off Mm -hmm. and then having to like resurrect it from accounts of people doing it rather than being able to watch it firsthand like Uh that's just really important to save it before it was completely gone well thank you for joining us dear listener this week and as per usual like stani mentioned follow our instagram because when we talk about visual art sometimes it's very helpful to get the visual component and that's just 
more than muse.podcast and we'll be back next monday with more 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 muses for us yes definitely we have a fun episode on monday so Mm -hmm. definitely tune in we'll be back next (laughs) monday bye bye Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.